This is AM Rush. I'm your host, Alex Mitchell. Thursday, May 28th. Quick headlines out of AM New York Metro. New York City is in a $9 billion hole because of coronavirus. That's what Mayor Bill de Blasio said. And there was a protest at City Hall calling for the end of overcrowded homeless shelters. And there are early indicators that subway riders are returning after the system was left mostly empty during the coronavirus scare. This is AM Rush. I'm Alex Mitchell. You can read about those stories on our website, amny.com. That's amny.com. Today we have a big show with AM New York Metro sports editor Joe Pantorno. He is going to break down what the NHL playoffs are going to be like this year. It's so exciting that we're getting sports back, and the Islanders and Rangers are both going to be in them. So check out AMNY for those news stories. Joe, we're going to go to you now. Joe, just before we started recording here, I watched a 16-minute video of insane and awesome Overtime hockey playoff goals from the past few years. Hockey's coming back. We're going to have the playoffs. I could not be more excited. Tell us about it. Yeah, how did you not get pumped up? I mean, uh, really, the first concrete, we're coming uh, coming back manifestation uh, has come forth for sports fans, and it is hockey which is surprising to me because I think a lot of us thought that baseball kind of had all the momentum uh, going in to get back first. But, yeah, here we are. Uh, Hockey has their plan first, at least for now, and uh, it's a different look. And uh, if you're a hockey traditionalist, you might want to look away here because it's a 2014 postseason format, and they don't want it uh, to be called the Stanley Cup playoffs as of yet because it's a – it's a whole new kind of situation we have going on here. So I'll try to break it down to the best of my abilities here. Instead of eight playoff teams per conference in the East and West, this year we will have 12 teams per conference. Uh, the 2019-20 season, uh, regular season is now effectively over, and they go into what is called the play-in round, where the top four seeds – in each conference, basically get a, a bye into the conference quarterfinals, which is the more traditional 18 format that'll probably go to the best of seven series. Uh, that really hasn't been disclosed as of yet. Um, but those top four seeds, they're actually going to have a little round robin tournament to decipher uh, the actual rankings, one through four, uh, by the time they're able to play, which will be in the quarterfinals. In the meantime, Seeds 5 through 12 in each conference are going to be playing a best-of-five series. Um, you know, it's, uh, again, a pretty traditional layout in terms of, you know, the high seed plays the lowest seed, so it'll be 5-12, 6-11, 7-10, 8-9. And the winners of that series will move on into that field of eight teams per conference. And, again, you kind of get that little semblance of the Stanley Cup playoffs back. And... The reason why they're doing this is because the regular season ended uh, without the full 82 games being played. And because there was such an uneven amount, it would have been nearly impossible to properly decipher a eight-team field per conference because 
Uh, I'm going to use New York Kings, for example, here, obviously. Uh, the Islanders were on the outside looking in at a playoff spot just in terms of points. But based off of point percentage, because they played less games than about 90% of the league, uh, their point percentage actually had them as the number seven seed in the conference. So the way the NHL does it, the Islanders will be a seven seed, and in the first round they'll be playing the number 10 Florida Panthers, and the Rangers, who were only one point behind the Islanders, but because they played a few more games, they're actually the 11th seed. And they'll be playing the number six Carolina Hurricanes, which is a wonderful matchup for them. Yeah, the Rangers certainly seem to have had better luck against Carolina than the New York Islanders have. Uh, If you remember last year, and I know you do, they go from sweeping Pittsburgh to getting swept by Carolina. Very Islanders-esque move. So this play-in round, it's like the good old days back when the first round of the NHL playoffs we're a best of five. It's like we get like a little AL or NLDS in hockey. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like a little time machine before there was such a thing as the East and West, and it was the uh, you know the Smythe and the Patrick and the Wales and um, everything like that. So uh, yeah, definitely nice. Um, but it's uh, I, I think the league is trying to make it known that this little five through twelve playing round. Uh, I don't think it's going to have that Stanley Cup playoffs moniker. I think it's just going to be a postseason play-in game, or a play-in series, excuse me. And then uh, the teams that advance, they will advance into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the teams that don't, they'll enter the draft lottery. Now, and we could take our time, go over this twice. There will be notes available online after the class. Could you try to break down what exactly the NHL is doing with their draft lottery? I know when Commissioner Gary Bettman disclosed it, it was pretty confusing. Yeah, and he actually kind of made a little disclosure like, hey, I'm sorry about this because this is uh, incredibly confusing. And I won't lie, when he was going through it, uh, I got a headache uh, trying to get everything together. But, again, to the best of my abilities here, um, there are 24 teams that are making the postseason. There are seven teams that are not. Those seven teams go straight into the draft lottery, which deciphers the order of the 2020 NHL draft, which will probably come sometime in, I would say, July. Uh, Normally, it was, uh, I I believe it was scheduled for June 23rd or 24th this year. Uh, So the seven teams, uh, they go to the draft lottery, But the NHL is kind of keeping the traditional 15-team playoff, uh, excuse me, 15-team draft lottery intact. And obviously, if you're looking at the situation right now, you're wondering, well, how the heck is that possible when there's only seven teams that are definitely eliminated? Well, Gary Bettman is introducing this in phases. So on June 26th, there will be the first phase of the NHL draft lottery, which means, you know, the traditional kind of falling of the ping pong balls, and they'll try to pick the order of, uh, you know, the top 15 picks or however that may be. Um, But instead of using the actual teams, because 
there won't be hockey by the time phase one of that draft lottery selection comes around. Uh, Gary Bettman's using placeholders. So basically he'll just, uh, you know, he'll draw the names and, uh, you know, say the 10th pick comes out and it'll be just playoff team one or playoff team two. And whoever gets eliminated, uh, um, you know, they kind of, they're just kind of there. Um, again, I, this is, this is confusing. So bear with me here. Um, if, for example, um, in phase one, if the top three picks selected are three of the seven teams that didn't make the playoffs, um, then the lottery is basically set. So any team that gets eliminated, they will be slotted into the corresponding spot in which they were eliminated. So uh, say, for example, the Columbus Blue Jackets eliminate the Toronto Maple Leafs first. Uh, you know, they'll get, say, whatever it might be, the first eligible pick available that one of those placeholder spots held. Um, if, however, the um, Phase 1 has a top three team in the lottery that is currently playing, so say, for example, the number three pick uh, is chosen and it's one of those placeholder teams, then there's a phase two of the lottery that kind of deciphers who exactly goes where. And uh, that'll come in July, and hopefully I explain that as well as I possibly can because I'm still kind of scratching my head over it. Uh, I, I feel like I need to draw some diagrams or, or uh, make a PowerPoint presentation or, or bring in Gary Bettman himself because, uh, you know, listening to him just try and do it without any visuals, that was, uh, that was probably one of the more difficult things I've done since, you know, taking a math class in college. Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like I'm back at Hofstra University sitting in the back of a class. My head is actually throbbing a little bit from what you tried to explain. I'm not going to lie to you about that. I feel like I'm, I'm back in a lecture having no clue what's going on. But I feel like they're also taking a let's worry about the draft when we have the playoffs down pat approach. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good way to look at it. And again, there's still a lot of loose ends that the league still needs to tie up. Uh, that obviously includes where these games are being played. Uh, the NHL is going to be doing a two-central-hub-city format where the Eastern Conference is going to play in one city during the postseason and the Western Conference is going to play in another city. Um, if I was a betting man, I would say whenever that announcement does come, uh, I feel like the West would or could uh, play in Vegas. Uh, at least that's what I'm thinking. This is just a personal opinion of mine. And I think in the East, they'll play in either Toronto or Pittsburgh. Um, you know, a place with, you know, suitable lodging, decent enough amenities where it can really sustain the grind of having multiple games being played uh, for a decent amount of time. Uh, so, you know, we'll wait for that, and obviously we'll wait for the concrete starting date on this. We still don't know what that is yet. And, uh, again, hopefully we, we get that clarified in the coming days or, or weeks. I'm with you. I think, and I know we discussed this, I think that Toronto, if they're going to do it there for the East, 
depending on what happens with baseball, given where is it still the Air Canada Center or has it been renaming rights and all that fun I, stuff? I believe it's the Rogers Center. Rogers Center now. And that is next to another Rogers Center, is it not? The Yeah, the, I think it's yeah, it's something like that. I know it's all the, the naming rights are, are wild over there. I'm 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 not one hundred percent certain, but uh, I think it's something like that. I'll have to do my research a little bit when we log off here. Okay, well, to put it in layman's terms, the hockey rink is next to where <laughs> the baseball and football field is, and it has a retractable roof. The Toronto Argonauts and the Toronto Blue Jays share their arena. It's the one with the hotel in it. That's the one we're trying to describe. It's the one with the hotel in the outfield. That's that's the arena we're talking about. If, you, if you're not sure, we'll be happy to accommodate you following the show. But depending on what baseball does... There's no reason why you can't use that facility to house one, if not two, extra rinks to have three games going at once and have a summer classic, if you will, even though the roof will be retracted, climate-controlled, everything. But, you know, it, it almost feels like like a high school or a peewee hockey game. It's like, are you on rink one, two, three, whatever it's it's going to happen. But that's a way to... I guess make the most of the current situation because you can't imagine that they're going to be able to get the playoffs done logistically using one rink for an entire side of the conference. That just, particularly if there are going to be more teams in this quote, play in whatever, one rink just seems difficult. I remember when I played CYO hockey in Massapequa, we had trouble using just one rank. I, I can imagine what it would be like for the NHL to try this. So I wouldn't put it past the league to use the venue next door, particularly if there aren't going to be fans, build one or two ranks, and you could have three games going at once. And that's a little bit more manageable. And something else about this playoffs or these playoffs that is I'm curious to see what happens besides for the Stanley Cup final, and I don't even think they have a plan for where that will be held. There's not going to be a travel strain on teams. Exactly. And uh, kind of to go off your last point there, um, especially about Toronto, uh, it, it's the Maple Leafs play at the Scotiabank Arena. So let's just get that out of the way da, now. Da, da, da. You know, I, I finally, yeah, finally came to me. Um, Major League Baseball, the plan is right now when play does return that the teams are going to be playing in their home ballparks. Uh, so there's, you know, right now they're in a salary dispute that is kind of putting their start into question. Um, but if there is baseball, I, I really can't see that being an option unless desperation does set in. However, you know, there, there will be only one site for these playoffs. But in the first round, or in this play-in series, um, you're, you're looking at four games a day. Uh, and that is going to be a lot. And it's going to require the very, very best of those that maintain the ice at those arenas. But uh, you can have a full day scheduled of hockey, at least for that first round and for the quarterfinals uh, where you can have games 
every day, or if you do kind of want to stagger it out like they do, you know, in a normally scheduled postseason, uh, you can play two games a day uh, at, you know, one arena. And that kind of eases the strain, I would suppose, rather than trying to play games that say, you know, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and 9 o'clock, and everybody's running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Um, So that would definitely be different. Um, Yeah, there really hasn't been any word about the Stanley Cup or the awarding of the Stanley Cup or where it would be. Um, I, I feel like there would be a rather unfair advantage if they chose one of those two central hub cities. Uh, I personally think that they would go for a more central location, whether that be a Chicago or a Dallas or, you know, even a a Winnipeg, uh, something like that where it's kind of a a meet-me-in-the-middle sort of ordeal. I could see Winnipeg for the first time in a long time. The Stanley Cup just goes back to Canadian borders, even if a... Canadian team isn't hoisting it up at least at least it's something and uh, I don't know I of course it can't happen but when I think about the Winnipeg Jets I think about their whiteouts and oh that will be sorely sorely missed this postseason and we hope we really hope that that can come back soon some other questions about the format and the way that these playoffs are going to take place, there's not a date set in mind for this yet, is there? No, there's really no date. What they're doing, the NHL, is they are going uh, similarly to kind of how all the states are opening up uh, as restrictions are being eased throughout this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Right now the NHL is looking at a four-phase process to open. Uh, Currently, they're at the latter stage of phase one, uh, which is having players self-isolate and quarantine themselves. Phase two, which they're hoping is going to happen early next month, which is June. Um, Phase two will be players returning to their team facilities for small group training. Uh, on ice or off ice, it really doesn't matter. Uh, But they will be opening up facilities. You won't have large groups getting together. And there will obviously be a ton of, um, you know, health and safety guidelines that everybody's going to have to pass in order for that to happen. Uh, It was two days ago. So Monday, uh, the NHL sent out a 22-page memorandum kind of outlining the guidelines for Phase 2. And it's it's quite in-depth and... At least on paper, it looks good. And as long as everybody kind of behaves themselves and the numbers keep dropping, then early June is a very feasible target. Now, after phase two, uh, there's going to be phase three, which is training camp. And again, the hope will be that can happen sometime in, uh, you know, early July. And then we can get phase four, which is playing the actual games, uh, you know, maybe late July. Uh, I really don't think that they want to go into August and wait until they start playing because uh, this entire ordeal is probably going to take until, I would say, September. Yeah, this doesn't seem to be just fading away right away, but 
Again, light at the end of the tunnel. This uh, you and I have talked about. Uh, World Team Tennis is returning with fans, actually, which is another exciting light at the end of the tunnel. That maybe there's a way in these massive arenas. By the time the plan gets finalized, even if it's not filled to capacity, maybe every other seat, every other row, there's a way to at least get people to these games safely, particularly if they're not going to be played for a few months, because I imagine fans would travel. I I really think that you give them the opportunity, they'll do it the right way. Uh, as disappointing as people can be, I think that this is something where people will go and they won't mess it up. They'll do everything safely, properly. It, it would even be cute if instead of rally towels, they hand out rally masks. Or something like that for for the team that you support. But again, who knows? At least we have one sport coming back that has fans. And I think that hockey, if they could do that safely, properly, within CDC, within state guidance. I mean, I think we'd all love to see people going to these games if it's within the best interest of their safety. Yeah, yeah, I, I I appreciate you know your optimism, and I, I I would like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, I I think it is a big ask to have you know fans of all teams kind of descend upon a central location, yeah, and I think that, I think that's another uh, big obstacle it would take for these host cities to kind of put all of these fans up, um, and. At the same time, though, I mean, we're not even sure if they're going to allow media in uh, in the buildings. I mean, they'll have TV cameras. Uh, I'm sure they'll have a couple of announcers to broadcast the games, you know, in the United States and in and in Canada. But other than that, I mean, you might not have print media available and, and you know, videography there. And, you know, you might have one or two photographers at most, but, uh, you know, it'll be from the league. It won't be from any of these news outlets. Uh, but again, there, uh, Gary Bettman didn't really have a decision on that yet. Uh, obviously, you know, myself and a lot of other hockey writers out there are hoping that, you know, that kind of eases up. Um, but again, that's also going to be another big ask because you're going to have multiple media members from every team trying to go to these central locations too. So, um, you know, I, I, I like the optimism, and I, I really hope that it could happen where they can let, you know, media and fans into the arena. But, um, you know, again, it wouldn't surprise me if everybody kind of errs on the side of caution and, you know, everybody kind of stays out for the time being at least, unless there's a uh, miraculous turnaround here where a vaccine is found, you know, much earlier than anticipated. Yeah. Yeah, now that I think about it, maybe the optimism is slightly overzealous, but you are you know the Mets, you got to believe, right? Yeah, keep the faith. I mean, listen, times like this, you got to stay positive. And, uh, you know, this is uh, this is one of those instances. And, and who knows? You know, World Team Tennis is doing it. If, if they can figure it out, maybe hockey can too. I think that a lot of leagues are going to look to World Team Tennis as an experiment in a way and just see what they do, how it goes. Now, uh, of course it's so different. I mean, 
when World Team Tennis is having fans, they're doing it at 20% capacity. So, again, that's probably like one person every five seats per two or three rows. So it's it's going to be very scattered, very spread out, but at least we're going to be able to have a case study on what happens when people go back to sporting events. So that's at least something in the pipeline to look forward to in July. And something I think that teams that have qualified for whatever you want to call it, the play-in games, the first half play-in round, uh, the, the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, I think that teams should either sell or mail rally towels to their fans so that people can wave them at home. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be a great idea. You know, get the, uh, get the fans amped up. And, you know, I'm sure that when it's time to play hockey that there can be an opportunity for teams to safely gather fans, you know, maybe near their arena um, or somewhere, you know, in the community where they can watch. Um, I know there's a report coming out that this summer uh, the National Coliseum is kind of being turned into a drive-in movie theater. Uh, So why not broadcast some playoff games there then? And everybody can sit in their cars at a safe distance and everybody can kind of honk their horns and wave their towels out the window. And, uh, you know, that'll that'll be that. I think that'd be a, a nice idea and kind of bring everybody that much closer together. Oh, man, that's... That's something I miss. Whenever you're at the Nassau Coliseum for a New York Islanders game, when they win, particularly in the playoffs, for the next 45 minutes, your ears are pleasantly subjected to the cadence of because everyone blares it on their horn. And that's just something you don't get anywhere else in the league. And I think to see just every fan doing that every time someone scores or or it's tense, the Islanders are winning, it's the end of a game, and you just hear that throughout the parking lot as you're watching, that would be different, but it would be great. And that would be a, we make the most of this, we have hockey, we have a dog in the fight, we're doing this, we're watching the playoffs, we're all together that would be really cool. I'm sure that the city could find a way to do that for the Rangers, too, that is safe and socially distant. Even if, and this is an idea we, we talked about with playoff baseball, projected on buildings, corporate buildings where no one's in, projected on the Empire State Building, projected on 30 Rock or the building next to 30 Rock where they normally do the Christmas display or the holiday display, I should say. There are ways that the city can do this where it's still all in, everyone's invested, and you can do it safely if there's no way to actually attend. Yeah, it would be. Uh, I, I think that'd be really great if there was a way that the city could kind of project the games in, in multiple locations, and you know, folks that have that view of the city can, you know, sit out on their, uh, you know, sit by their windows or on their fire escapes or on their balconies, uh, and, and kind of catch the, catch the game. And, um, you know, it's, that's an idea that they can probably carry throughout, um, you know, the, the four professional major sports in North America. And, uh, yeah, that, that'd be a great idea. I'd love to see that. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of be the same as those videos that were coming out of Italy of people, uh, you know, having a catch across their balconies or yeah. doing calisthenics or playing music together. Uh, 
you know, I think that'd be a nice story, and especially if the team succeed, uh, you know, videos of people cheering and laughing and smiling. That's the kind of stuff that we need right now. Instead of tailgating, you apartment gate where you literally, while wearing gloves, throw a hot dog to your neighbor or something. You you make it fun. You make it – you are aware of the situation. You acknowledge what's going on, but you make the most of it, and you find a way to get through it. And having the Islanders and Rangers in the Stanley Cup playoffs at the same time with the potential prospect of a meeting down the line, I think – New York City needs nothing more. I should say New York City and Long Island need nothing more than an Islanders-Rangers playoff series. I said this before on one of our shows. The best way to bring New York together right now is to rip them apart and divide them with that. I really think so. Yeah, as long as they're responsible and are socially distant because, you know, we've been to our our fair share of Islanders games as either fans or working media members where – uh, you know, if you put Islanders and Rangers fans in the same place, uh, you know, the fisticuffs kind of come out and the gloves are off. So, uh, you know, it's imperative that everybody behaves. Yeah, that's, that's important. I think a well-behaved, socially distant rivalry would be appropriate, to be clear in my, uh, in my description of that. But I think that's what the city needs right now. Everyone has something invested in the playoffs. And... For people that aren't even too into sports but can't really do anything else for the next few months, Islanders and Rangers are playing. They're battling every day. I think it's a great way to get people engaged in the sports, and and this could be the first coming out for new New York after this is an Islanders-Rangers. Even if they don't end up playing each other, if both teams have a deep run, that would be the first like electro shock to bring everyone out of the coronavirus blues, I think. And just seeing them, even if they don't end up playing each other, but they just go deep and they just get everyone up on their feet and everybody energetic. I think that is, that would poise the city to just have something to look forward to be enthusiastic about and just give New York something to cheer about. Yeah, and when you think about where hockey ranks in the court of public opinion amongst the big four major sports in the United States, um, you know, the harsh truth is that it's last. Uh, you know, it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and, and then the NHL. Uh, and there's really no bigger shot in the arm uh, that the NHL could have uh, than kind of having their two teams in their one of their largest markets – uh, you know, kind of face off in an absolutely bonkers series and, and you know, get the Big Apple back into hockey. Um, you know, get get the country talking about such a crazy rivalry that has, for the most part, been dormant for uh, the past few decades, minus a few hectic uh, regular season matchups. So uh, I think that would do wonders for the sport, and I think it would do wonders for the sport, especially in New York. And any kind of resurgence of an Islanders-Rangers rivalry to say how it was in the late 70s or into the 80s, uh, I think that'd be incredible. Yeah, I, just like you, I've been dying to see one of these playoff series in my lifetime. I'm only 24. I've never even been alive 
for an Islanders Rangers playoff series. I I want to see one. I want to go to one now if it's safe, of course. But oh, that is that is something that just needs to happen again. And the last time when we were talking about the greatest games ever played between New York teams, we kind of came to the conclusion that it was an Islanders Rangers playoff game. Yeah, and uh, really. I'm kind of the opposite of you. I don't think I could take that kind of stress uh, having the Islanders and the Rangers playing in a playoff series because, I mean, I remember the stress I had when the Mets and the Yankees played each other in the World Series. And, and you know, I've talked about it before. They're not really rivals. Um, so if you have two huge hated rivals uh, playing in the playoffs a la Yankees-Red Sox or Bruins-Canadians, uh, something like that, that's, uh, that's going to be stressful. Uh, especially for uh, you know for the poor guys up in the up on uh, up on press row who aren't allowed to make noise or, or cheer or anything, so uh, you know I'm going to have to be sure I'm sedated or something if that happens. <laughs> that yeah, you're you're right. It it would be for the press. It would be interesting to um, withhold or contain. Your emotions, but at the same time, as long as you're not yelling Islanders suck or Rangers suck or whatever, I really think that there should almost be a lightening of the press etiquette. Like, you're not on a golf course, you're allowed to make noise, not cheer, but make noise and be into the game to just kind of amp the voltage on this rivalry. Yeah, I mean, uh, that'd be nice, I guess. Um, I, I, you know, I, I remember growing up too, and my dad would always kind of ask me, "He's like, could you imagine, you know, if the Rangers played the Islanders in a playoff series?" And and even like when I was a kid, I was like, "I, I don't want it. It's like, I, I don't want it. I can't take it." Just for the fear that you know your team loses, and then you have to hear the fans of the winning team kind of hold that over your head for God knows how long because, yeah. again, when did the Islanders and the Rangers last meet in the playoffs? 1994? I mean, you know, and, and that's kind of been hovering over Islanders' heads for a long time now. So, sure, there's probably a lot of them chomping at the bit to kind of right that wrong, uh, at least in their point of view. But, oh, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe it's because I'm a pessimist. Just the fear <laughs> of having your side losing. I feel like it's such a daunting and terrifying possibility but uh hey, you know what you got to take the risks to be a winner so the way i see it from an islander's perspective you're getting ragged about 1994 heck you're getting ragged about every season you've had since 1994 <laughs> you've got nothing to lose the rangers either have one more talking point on a powerpoint that rivals uh, the nhl draft's new policy for the islanders <laughs> You might actually have a chance to say, you know what? We punched you in the mouth. We finally beat you. This is our town now. We took Brooklyn. We're going to take Long Island and just sit down and shut up because it's time for orange and blue in New York. That is my take. That is my view on an Islanders-Rangers playoff series. Now, of course, if the Rangers win this, this will be... A storm cloud looming over Nassau and Suffolk and parts of Queens counties for generations to come. 
and the how do I even say it? I, I feel like I'm I'm reading something off the book of Revelations, but it will be that dastardly, and it will be something Islanders fans will be taking to the grave with them if they lose to the Rangers in the playoffs in this new generation. That particularly if it's not even a competitive series and the Rangers taken in like five games that the Islanders could have another dynasty, win another four cups. And that would still be what people remember is that the Rangers beat them one year. So I get you're not being pessimistic. You are being realistic for the grave circumstance that would face Islanders fans if they get slaughtered by the Rangers in a playoff series. That's fair. That's reasonable. I get where you're coming from. Yeah, no pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, you know, uh, it, it'll be a huge moment whenever that day comes because, you know, for as long as the NHL will exist, you know, it, it's, it's not not going to happen. You know, the Islanders and Rangers are going to meet in the postseason. And, you know, yeah, the Rangers fans, you know, they talk about 94. The Islanders have 84. But the Rangers also have uh, 79, you know, when the Islanders were, uh, you know, a a good team, an up-and-coming team, and, and, you know, favorites to win the Cup. And the Rangers beat them on the backs of John Davidson. So, um, you know, each each franchise kind of has their moment, I guess, against the other one. And, uh yeah, I mean, again, part of me doesn't want it, another part of me, you know, maybe I kind of do now that I think about it. But, uh, yeah, it'll be, listen, it'll be good fun. And for a neutral hockey fan that really hasn't been exposed to, say, the Islanders-Rangers Rangers rivalry, especially the Islanders, given the way they've been treated by the national and Canadian hockey media over the years, um, I think that potential series would be a great look into it. And I think it would educate a lot of fans. For On the perspective of the Islanders, again, that would also be such a wake-up call. Cause, and we've had this discussion with the Yankees and Mets about the Mets taking back New York. And it's the same thing for the Islanders. For And again, in baseball it's so different because the Mets and Yankees rarely play, let alone play competitive games. You have to go back 20 years at this point to to date the last one. And before that, there really wasn't one. But the Islanders and Rangers, almost every season, there is a end-of-the-season Isles-Rangers game, whether it be at the Coliseum or MSG, where one team has a lot on the line and the other is having a flat season. And in 2015, the last year before the Islanders fully moved to Brooklyn, I remember... Rangers were hot, the Islanders were hot, and there was a little bit of jitters like, ooh, you think they're going to meet in the playoffs? You think it's going to happen? And fans, maybe not the teams, but the fans almost mentally defeated the first-round opponent already just looking to get to this point where the two teams could play each other because, in a way, it's almost as big as winning the Stanley Cup. You can lose, get swept in the next round. Your team could, it could be like English soccer where somehow you become relegated to the American Hockey League. But if you beat the Rangers as an Islanders fan, it was worth it. Or if you beat the Islanders as a Rangers fan, it was worth it. Yeah, that's really been the consolation of 
either side of the rivalry when one half is doing well and the other half isn't. Uh, you know, I guess more recently, um, you know, the Islanders had dominated the rivalry for a while, even though the Rangers were consistently making the playoffs. And, you know, that was kind of a, a Ranger fan's rationale after losing to the Islanders. Well, I was like, well, you know what, that's, that's their Stanley Cup. You know, like we're looking on to bigger and better things. Um, and, and it just kind of shows that, you know, how how important that rivalry is. Because, again, you know, the Islanders have had more bad seasons than good. Um, and, you know, I actually kind of talked about it yesterday where, you know, this is only a 68-game season for them. And their 80 points was tied for fifth most that they've had over the last 13 years. Uh, so, so mediocrity has been pretty prevalent with this organization, but it's just that one feather in the cap where, if they take a season series from the Rangers, they can at least be like, hey, you know, we, we got you this year. Yeah, good luck in the playoffs. You know, we might be home golfing, but you know, we can at least take a little bit of pride in saying, you know, we, we took New York. Yeah, it really is, in a lot of ways, it's like college football. If a team has a bum season but they beat their rival – it was a good season. May have not even been bowl eligible. If Notre Dame's having a crummy five-win season and they beat USC, season's not looked that so bad. And it's the same thing. It's how'd you do against the Rangers this year? Oh, we beat them. Oh, the Rangers went to the Stanley Cup final? Ah, well, we still beat you. It, it really is that kind of attitude with it. Now let's get into the matchups in this playoff round, starting with the Rangers going against Carolina. Yeah, this is actually a really nice matchup for the Rangers because they they dominated the Hurricanes this year. Uh, they went four and zero. They outscored them seventeen to nine. Artemi Panarin had nine points in those four games. Uh, Mika Zibanejad had like another seven. Um, you know, it's it's just a question of if the Rangers' offense can kind of recapture that momentum that they had, but were kind of losing before the coronavirus freeze. Uh, obviously, there's going to be hope that Panarin can do enough and just carry them on his back, and, and really that'll just be confirmation that he is worthy of MVP consideration, if not the trophy itself this year. Um, but I actually wrote about this today. Um, really, the big question that David Quinn is going to have on his hands is which goalie to start. Uh, Igor Shosturkin has been incredible in net. Uh, he's been 10-2 and two this season. He beat the Hurricanes once. Uh, he looked pretty good doing it. Stopped 27 to 29 shots. Um, but in that same breath, Henrik Lundqvist has owned the Hurricanes throughout his entire career. Uh, he's something like 33 and 12 against them. Uh, his goals against is something like two. I think it's too flat. Um, and his um, save percentage is like a 9-4. Um, and, you know, there's no denying, he had the worst season of his career this year. And, you know, a lot of Rangers fans and Lundqvist himself, you know, he's being forced to take a stark look in the mirror and, you know, take hold of his hockey mortality. You know, the end is near for his career. Um, but he went 3-0 against the Hurricanes. Uh, and he looked pretty damn good doing it in the process. So, you know, David Quinn's going to have a, have a tough decision on his hands, but I think the Rangers are going to have loads of confidence going into this first-round series when you consider 
their regular season success that they had against the Hurricanes. You know, what's happening with Lundqvist right now, it really mirrors Eli Manning and Daniel Jones changing the guard. Yeah, you know what? That's actually that's a great way to look at it and, you know, an extremely recent example where it is a not just like a face of a franchise, but a face of New York sports that has been here for over a decade, for nearly two decades. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a tough pill to swallow when the day comes that Henrik Lundqvist isn't going to be wearing a Rangers jersey anymore. And David Quinn has kind of introduced at least the beginning of the end, where Lundqvist was. You know, sometimes the third man on that three goalie rotation with Shostakovich and and Georgiev. So, um, yeah, you know what? The end is near, but it, you know, in the same breath, how incredible would it be where the old goalie on his last legs, who's been nothing short of a good soldier for a franchise that he took to fantastic heights. Um, it, it would be quite the incredible story if he was able to take them on a Cinderella run and win a cup with them. And, you know, for a sports writer's sake, that's, that's magic. That's great for them. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at a realistic sense, you know, the team with the hottest goalie wins. And Shesterkin has only lost twice in his young NHL career. So, yeah, you know, Quinn either has the option of going with the proven goalie who is, you know, 140 or 160 playoff appearances under his belt, or the brash youngster that uh, has kind of shown that he can let a lot of the stuff kind of roll off his shoulders. Now, let me ask you, let me put you behind the bench for a minute. In an elimination game, who would you play? Henrik Lundqvist. No question. I would play Lundqvist. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say that, you know, in this career worst year, but really in the last few years, it, his struggles haven't all been his fault. The Rangers' blue line has been in shambles for a few years now, and they've left him out to dry a lot. Um, but in a winner-take-all kind of situation, um, you know, how, how could you not go with Lundqvist? Uh, and, and I know he hasn't really been able to take the Rangers to the promised land, but he knows what it takes. Um, you know, if you're jumping into play, you're jumping into the postseason. I want the guy that's kind of done it before. And if he can't do it, well, then you look at Chesterkin. And and listen, uh, you know, kudos to the Rangers. They have great goalie depth because if neither of them were Georgiev on his day while inconsistent, uh, he looks pretty good too um, to the point where the Rangers were, you know, probably going to trade him near the trade deadline um, and, and get a pretty decent return for him, and, you know, whether it was a second or a third round draft pick or something. Um, but, you know, in greener pastures, Georgiev can definitely be a starter in the NHL. Um, and, you know, the Rangers have kind of developed this reputation of developing these backups to become starters, and they don't necessarily have the greatest track record, but Cam Talbot became a starter, and Auntie Ranta became a starter, so, you know, it's something to consider. 
when you look at the difference between the Islanders and Rangers over the past 30 years, of course, there are a lot of calamities that the Islanders have suffered that the Rangers have not. But on ice, what made the two teams different was the Rangers always had that franchise goalie and the Islanders did not. They tried with a gentleman named Rick DiPietro, and I think we both know how that went. But whether it be Mike Richter, even Van Beesbrook, and then Lundqvist, they've always had that goalie, that career goalie, that guy who was solid between the pipes for at least a decade. And whether it's Shestjorkin or even Georgiev, who... As you said, he can come in in a pinch. He could do great if something happens to Shestjorkin or to Lundqvist where they're on the ice warming up and they tear their ACL. Not that that's ever happened in the history of the National Hockey League, but if a scenario like that is to happen, he could come in and be an ace. And the Rangers just, they know what they're doing in net. That's the one thing. That is the one hallmark of the Rangers in the past 30 years was the solid, remarkable goaltending. And if you look at it objectively, I would say Lundqvist is the most talented active keeper to not have a ring. Yeah, I can absolutely agree with you there. I mean, it, it won't even be active. This is one of the greatest goalies of all time that is faced with the very real possibility of not winning a ring. And kind of going back to what you were saying before about the the Rangers having that consistent longevity with their goaltenders in recent years, uh, this is kind of what the Islanders are hoping for in the form of Ilya Sorokin. Um, You know, when he does make that official jump from Russia to the United States, and uh, hopefully in a year or two, we are looking at an Islanders-Rangers rivalry that's kind of bolstered by the dual Russians in net on either side with Shesterkin and Sorokin. That might be a really fun aspect of the rivalry. I would love to see them tagging each other back and forth. And I would just love to see both teams not in, because we keep speculating about an Islanders Rangers playoff series, just having one in uh, what? 25 years. Why don't we try to get one every season? If the because the likelihood is that if the Islanders and Rangers don't play each other in the first round, they both actually win a round at the same time. When was the last time the Islanders and Rangers were both in the second round? Jeez, that's that's a great question. I mean, oh, exactly. Um, Case in point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's would you say it may, probably the eighties, right? Um, I'm trying to think back to eighty-seven. I'm trying to think to 2016. The Islanders made the second round. Um, yeah, I, I I really don't know off the top of my head there. Um, exactly. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, you know. So yeah, the 80s is probably the the right answer there. So it doesn't need to be if both teams are going to be competitive and put together competitive natures for seasons to come. It doesn't need to be a luck of the draw. They can actually just meet down the road. How great would it be, the, the pinnacle of the Islanders-Rangers rivalry, just because both teams are designated in the Eastern Conference, would be to beat the other to win the East. That is the ultimate 
the ultimate victory in the rivalry. It's not just to eliminate your opponent, but keep them out of the Stanley Cup final. And to get that, or I think that you're going to see a second round battle between them. I think that that would be one of the best, most intense series to have. Is second round, Islanders uh, theoretically, let's say they get revenge on the Caps for 2015. And the Rangers beat up on the Penguins or Carolina, Columbus, whoever. And they come out of this beating two teams that they've already had distaste towards. Or, you know, with the the Rangers, it's like the Yankees in Minnesota. They kind of own Carolina. But you just come out of this. You've already knocked one down. And now you're up against the bitter rival where you realize going – if you win this series – Going into the Stanley Cup, or the conference final rather, you're just like, we could beat the Rangers, or we could beat the Islanders, we could win the Stanley Cup, even if we had to win five extra games. That would be the attitude to this, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm antsy for it. I I got a feeling. I got a, I got a good feeling. I, again, I, I, I I wish I shared that optimism, and I, 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 think that this year does have the makings of a dark horse team or a Cinderella team making a run deep into the playoffs. Do I think that there is a Cinderella team that is going to win the Stanley Cup under this format? Personally, I don't think so. Just because in the East alone, I really can't see anybody beating either the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Boston Bruins who could potentially be one or both of the Islanders and Rangers, the second-round opponents, if they were to win their first round. Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Um, you know, I, I think that for the Isles and Rangers to meet in the playoffs, um, you know, it'll have to be in a little bit more of a traditional format, and both teams are going to have to be really something uh, to both, uh, you know, to say make an Eastern Conference final. Um, you know, I would even take I would take a first round series where you know it, they'd be like a four or five matchup. Um, you know I think that'd be pretty incredible too. Where we know that the two teams are evenly matched. Um, you know they they finished right next to each other in the standings for a year, and then they can duke it out in the playoffs immediately. And who knows maybe that could spark them to a to a cup run or something like that. But uh, yeah, you know beggars can't be choosers. I'd take anything. Well, to play devil's advocate to what you're saying about having a more predictable Stanley Cup champion, particularly in the East, what happened last season? Yeah, um, that obviously that was the uh, the caveat of the entire thing because the Tampa Bay Lightning were one of the most dominant regular season teams um, that we've seen in quite some time, and they were swept out of the first round. Just, um, yeah. That, that, it, that I still can't get over that personally. Yeah, and and you know what? It, could it very well happen again? Uh, yeah, sure it could. But at the same time, this is extra time that the Lightning have had to stew over this. Um, you know, they were they were embarrassed out of the playoffs last year in the first round. Uh, a team that was a Stanley Cup favorite and. In a regular season, you know, a normally scheduled season, that that alone is a regular driving force. Um, now, now you put it into terms of this season, they're one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. I think they're a top two seed. 
you know, they're like cage dogs right now. Like, they're ready to go. So, uh, you know, I, at the beginning of the year, I picked the Lightning to win the Cup, uh, and I don't want to deviate from that pick uh, just so I can say I told you so. But, listen, I'll take as much anarchy as I can get. I, I get what you're saying. I I don't know. It, it's a gut feeling, nothing else. I just have a feeling that the Lightning, under everything going on, after taking, well, what is for every team an incredibly awkward gap in the season, I don't know. I just see him coming out of the gate kind of slow, sluggish, like throw this year away, start over, do it right, do it properly. And that's why I think that there will be a Cinderella team this year is because teams that have had consistent playoff success – Kind of like the superstition of growing a beard. You don't change anything. You stay in a rhythm. You do the same thing. You put on the same socks. You eat the same breakfast. You grip your stick the same way. And there has been anything but routine and rhythm in the past few months, which is why I think you're going to see... I mean, in the case of the Islanders, Barry Trotz has probably cried enough tears of joy to fill the Atlantic Ocean that he has gotten a free pass on what has been a tremendous, colossal shutdown for his New York Islanders team. So, I don't know. And again, just going to last year, more than what happened with Columbus and Tampa Bay, the Hurricanes beating the Capitals in seven. That was not predicted. The Islanders sweeping the Penguins. That was not predicted. So, I don't know. And, and that's what's exciting about this new format. For the first time, for teams that have not won the Stanley Cup in recent years, you don't know and there's a hope. And I'm going to go to the example of the Islanders in 2013 when there was a shortened season due to an NHL partial shutdown of the season, lockout, whatever you want to call it, you know, the Islanders would not have made the playoffs under normal circumstances, most likely that season. However, they did, and even though they lost to Pittsburgh in the first round then, it was competitive, and they showed that they deserve to be there. So I think in this new format, I think you're going to see a team that maybe did not perform so well in a long-term season, but given this new set of circumstances, they can win when they have to. It's a finite number of games, particularly in this first round. I don't know. I I got a feeling it is not going to be one of the usual suspects. I just don't. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head bringing up the Islanders uh, because – Really, this entire format, this entire layoff, this jumping back into play, this couldn't fit them any better. You know, you have these offensive teams that rely on outscoring their opponents, who light up the scoreboards every night. You know, you're going to be coming back from what's going to be a four-month break, basically an entire offseason. They're expected to come back, jump into the playoffs, and recapture that magic. That's an entirely huge, enormous ask for them to do that and to come back and just start striking on all cylinders. Then you have a team like the Islanders who 
have had Barry Trotz's defensive structured system ingrained within their cerebellum where they know exactly what they're doing, where they have to go, what their responsibilities are. And really the reason why we saw them struggle as badly as they did is because they lacked the, the depth needed to stay afloat when key players went down. When Casey Sezikis went down, when Boychuk went down, when Clutterbuck went down, when Adam Pellick went down. And really, that was the beginning of that two-month-long swoon when Adam Pellick suffered that freak Achilles injury during warm-ups, uh, you know, in early January. So we got good, you know, the Islanders got good news today. Um, I actually just got off the phone with Lou Lamarillo, uh, I'd say about an hour or two ago. Um, he disclosed that everybody's going to be available for the playoffs. Wow. That, in- that includes Boychuk, that includes Sezikis, and most importantly, that includes Pellick, who has been acting like a top-pairing defenseman for the 38 games he was in this year and towards the back-end stretch of last year. That's an enormous get for them. The team is suddenly healthy. On paper, they're probably one of the deepest teams in the league at the center position, too. We obviously know that their goal-scoring difficulties have kind of reigned supreme over the past two years. Um, But at the same time, if they can kind of revert back to that play that made them so successful last year, and they can frustrate teams that will undoubtedly be frustrated to find their rhythm, then yeah, you know what? The Islanders are going to make a lot of noise, but it's all dependent on if they can put the puck in the net too. So uh, yeah, you know what? I can see it happening, and I know you can see it happening too, and I'm sure there are a lot of Islanders fans out there who are – sharing that hopeful optimism. I remember last year, in Game 1 against Pittsburgh, the Islanders had an early goal disallowed. But besides that, you just you could sense being at the Nassau Coliseum. I know you were there too. It felt like from the second the puck dropped, like not even then, from the second they skated over to take the opening faceoff, everyone, even the goalie, was just like, score a goal. Score a goal. It's going to get to me. I'm going to score. It's going to get to me. I'm going to score. And they have the goal. It's disallowed. And it was just like, didn't even face the the players. It's like, okay, score a goal. Score a goal. And what do they do shortly after? They score. And they scored again. It just, it felt like a horse with blinders. Like, just just go score. Get the puck. Score a goal. And, And they were doing that. And they were so successful. As you've seen, opportunities that the Islanders had in that season, or that series rather, had not worked for the past 10 years. But it just happened to work against Pittsburgh on on breakaways and just on shots. It's like, that one went in? That one never goes in. That went over his shoulder, didn't hit the crossbar, didn't miss the net. So you saw that they can do it. You saw that they can be offensive, not just machines, but they can be precise and accurate, and they could hit a needle in a haystack or whatever analogy you want to use. There was that precision and determination to score against Pittsburgh, and it worked. And you saw this 
confidence in the New York Islanders that had not been seen, I'm going to say in my lifetime, I don't know about your lifetime, I don't think that the 2001 Islanders against against Toronto had felt that confidence, but after Game 2 against Pittsburgh that year, it was no longer like, alright, maybe we have a chance, it was like, no, we're going to win, we're going to dominate, and... For Trotz, I think his message to the team should be, whatever happened, happened. It does not count. We are healthy. Look what we could do last year. This time, let's finish the job. Yeah, and, and, and really over the last year or so, you know, there have been times when I'm, when I'm covering the Islanders where, you know, I kind of have the notion where you're watching them and, and, and you realize, you know, when they want to score, they can they can score, but their biggest enemy is themselves. Yep. Um, and and it's it's kind of wading through the waters of figuring out when to attack compared to when to draw back and get into that Barry Trotz, Lou Lamarillo defensive system slash trap game. Um, and and I think there there was really a hesitancy again, from January to March of this year, um, there was a hesitancy to kind of figure that out and decipher everything. Um, it was, you know, there were, there were guys kind of getting caught in no man's land. Um, and that's why the Islanders were conceding more goals than, than normal. I mean, when Adam Pellick was in the lineup, the Islanders were averaging, uh, you know, 2.6 goals allowed per game. That's a pretty good number. When he was out, that, that swelled up to 3.1 goals per game. And, you know, you look at it and you say, well, a half goal difference, that's really not huge. But Ooh. for an Islanders team that is constantly struggling to put the puck in the back of the net, that's big. Yeah, you're, you're, very, you're right. You're right about that. And... When the Islanders win their games, they're usually defensive victories. I don't know. I'm not saying you're going to see an eight or nine goal run, but I think that if the Islanders come out of this break mentally properly, it seems like physically the team is healthy. Right now, I think it's on trots. It's on Lamarillo and the rest of the organization to just say to these guys, what happened before, shake it the heck off, go out and win, you deserve to be there. Yeah, and if they can kind of exude that confidence, which is going to come just in the form of getting everybody back and healthy, um, you know what, they can make some noise. And you look back to their season series against the Panthers, who they're going to play in the first round. Uh, they won all three of those games, and it was something like, you know, the score lines were like 3-1, 2-1, and 3-2. Um, so, you know what? I, I think we all kind of know what kind of series we're going to be in for. It's going it, to be low scoring, um, not only because the Islanders on their day are the best defensive team in hockey, but on the other side, the Panthers have a guy in Sergei Bobrovsky in goal. Um, and when he's hot, he's a top three goalie in the league. So, you know, 
again, we're, we're at least a month and a half away from this series starting and we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves, but you know, these are, these are things you have to consider and kind of prepare for. You know, when you look at the Florida Panthers in many ways, they've kind of become what the Islanders were in the league about 10 years ago, where they are not looked upon with favor in a broader national or Canadian spotlight. And the series, even if it's just the three quick games, or it could be an intense five games, and those make for some of the most exciting, best, I, I, I don't know, I'm a fan of best of five style. I think it's a great way to kick off. I know we've talked about this with baseball. I think it's such a quick and great way to just bolster energy into a playoffs is a little quick. Every game counts in baseball. Every pitch counts in hockey. Every shot you take counts. Every minute, every second you're on the ice matters because you don't have too many of them left under these circumstances. Do you think with this, because you know just as well as I do what happened the last time the Islanders and Panthers played a playoff game and how important that was to the Islanders franchise. Depending on how this goes, I think there could be a little bit of a rivalry brewing. Um, you know, I, I would, I would say yes. Um, and I, I, I think again, a lot of it is going to stem from the fan base because, you know, the second the matchup was confirmed, uh, I remember seeing all the, uh, all the Florida Panther fans kind of taking to social media and, and bringing up, uh, the fact that Vitrocek was chipped uh, was tripped in uh, yeah, in the third period of Game Six when he was going to put away that empty netter uh, that would have secured Game Six for the Panthers and you know history kind of took over and the Islanders scored a late equalizer and then won in overtime to win their first series in twenty three years yada 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 but um, on the ice I'm not really sure because a lot of the Panthers core from that twenty sixteen team is gone. Um, the head coach is gone. Trocek is gone. Um, and, and I mean, again, there are a lot of players that are still left over. Um, you know, um, Jonathan Huberto is still there for Florida. Uh, Alexander Barkov still there. Um, but the Islander killer in Riley Smith, he's gone. He's in Vegas. I mean, um, and, you know, obviously the Islanders don't have John Tavares. So there's, there are key players and key figures that, you know, were, that played large parts in that first playoff matchup. Um, you know, that I could see maybe it won't be that big of a rivalry yet, but at the same time, I mean, we know what happens in postseason hockey. It gets chippy. Um, so who knows? Maybe some of the remaining cast members might have a little added fuel to the fire, but, um, you know, I'm kind of hesitant to say it's going to be a rivalry unless, you know, things go absolutely haywire, but. Yeah, who knows? It would certainly be the start of an interesting postseason history. Even if, like you said, it seems like the cast of that TV show has moved on to other projects for the most part. But in a quick series, if it goes back to back to back, even if there is no controversial call, and I'll admit I watched it from the Barclays Center Islanders were very fortunate with the referee's ruling on that. Now, of course, Florida had 
two overtime periods to win the game, and referees get plenty of calls wrong throughout the series. So in most cases, you can't point a finger at one. And again, just like uh, Bill Buckner in the World Series or Steve Bartman, there was still a Game 7 had it gone the other way. So you can't say it costs them the series, but yeah. Islanders may have been floated a generous call and the fact that they were able to scoop the puck up, run it down with 50 seconds left to break a scoreless one nothing game. Oh, gosh, gives me chills just to think about it. In a lot of ways, that goal was almost more exciting. than And, and of course, they're in such different contexts because the drought was broken, the curse was broken, but... To tie a playoff game, the last one at your home venue, for that round at least, with 50 seconds left after you prevented an empty net goal, my gosh. Yeah, yeah that was uh, that was one of the more memorable, memorable games in the past decade or so with this franchise. And uh, Yeah, you know, it's that's a good point. The, the equalizer was... I mean, I mean, it was it was incredible. It was it was just as exciting as the winner. But I mean, really, when when Tavares put in that overtime winner, just the relief, you know, it, not all, it was it was ecstasy with a side of relief. Um, and and really, we haven't seen the Barclays Center like that, and we will probably never see it like that again. Yeah, and unless for whatever reason the Rangers move down there, but <laughs> when when you look at at the Islanders now, and you look at the Panthers, I don't know. I just see, and maybe this is the start of it, if they keep meeting up in the postseason, I think more than fans are going to start to remember how things were. And it, it could be a fun opening round every couple of years where it's like, ooh, Islanders-Panthers again. And I don't know. Part of me, not in, in this case, because of course you want to see New York win, I, I want to see the Panthers make a, a good run. And another point that I was going to make before in that 2016 series, even when the Islanders were the favorite, among the fan bases, there was still this, this insecurity that until you literally saw it happen, you could be up 10 nothing with four seconds left, You'd still be insecure that somehow there's going to be a miraculous shot off the draw and a dyslexic referee writes the score down, whatever happens. Like, you were insecure until it was signed, sealed, and delivered. And that was the Islanders' kind of MO for the past 25 years was even if they were in the playoffs, it'll be an early exit. It'll be this. It'll be that. And I think it's time to change that culture with this season. And you saw it with Pittsburgh after they won that second game at the Coliseum. You know, it was, it was, let's not just win. Let's sweep. Let's kill them. You know, not actually, but you know, let's massacre them. You know, let's have penguin for dinner tonight. And then the air gets sucked out in the next round against Carolina. But I think there should be a new mentality with this insecurity. And in a way, you're almost kind of scapegoating it, or in this series, you're going to throw it at Florida. Like, you guys are the new jinx. You guys are the new perennial loser. So, for the Islanders to get them twice, I think that that 
would be almost like a ritualistic passing of the buck or scapegoating, you know, exercising of the demons like, you guys have the new curse. And I think that'd be funny to have like hockey's own version of the curse of the Bambino. You know, you go from one island, I I know technically Florida's not an island, but you go from one beach-centric location down the Atlantic to another, and you bring those hockey blues with you, I could see that becoming the new Islanders-Panthers thing, depending on how this series goes. Or if it evens up, then it's like, all right, we're tied up, and then the next time they meet, maybe both teams are hyper-competitive, or both teams just straggled into a playoff spot. I don't know. I just I could see this becoming just a little bit of energy with a new semi-familiar opponent. Listen, I mean, if 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 you're creating rivals, that means your team is moving in the right direction and they're competitive. So, uh, you know what? Again, I said it before, beggars can't be choosers. Uh and and a rivalry means that you're doing something right or at least you're, you know, you're in you're in the conversation. So, um, you know what? Who knows? It could, it could start with Florida. It, it might be that little tradition, like you said, where it's an early postseason matchup. And, uh, you know, say if the Islanders win this series and, you know, they meet up again down the road, it'll, you know, kind of take on a life of its own. And, oh, oh the, the Panther Slayers are here, you know, first round. Here we go again. So, uh, yeah, you know, that might be a little storyline to, uh, to keep an eye out on as, as time passes. And again, just the fact that you're playing an opponent that you've beaten in the playoffs. Islanders, prior to 2016, weren't able to really say that. Like, oh, we, we have a good record against this team. We, we beat them a few years ago in the playoffs. It was always like, oh, Pittsburgh. Or, oh, Buffalo. and Or, oh, Toronto. Or, oh, the Rangers in the 90s. I This is the first time Islanders fans are looking at a playoff scenario where it's like, this is a team we've played well. This is a team we've not just played well, but played them well in the postseason. Yeah, there's there's almost an air of expectation now, where it's, you know, the past, you know, I guess really before last year, the past four or five or six playoff appearances, you know, they made the playoffs and it was like, well, you know, hopefully we can make the first round competitive. Well, hopefully we can push the Penguins to seven games. Or the Capitals to seven games. Or the Maple Leafs. Or the Lightning. Or the Senators. I mean, these are teams that they played in the in the last 20 years in the first round and they couldn't get past. Um, so, yeah, I think with that, you know, with the run last year, with the Panthers series still mostly fresh, in fans' minds, um, there are going to be some expectations. And who knows, that might put a little extra pressure on. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's definitely a new feel for a, for a large faction of the Islanders fan base. I'm very curious to see how the Islanders play under an expectation because you could argue that after sweeping the Penguins last year, not even so much an expectation, but... There was just a mentality of, how the heck are you going to lose this next round if you just did that? So, it's going to go either one of two ways. It's something the Islanders can thrive on. And again, with, with Barzell, I feel, like, I feel like he's like a confident stud in a lot of ways. Where if 
the faith that is put in him, he will go nuts. He will go crazy. He will do his magical moves in front of the net and pop the puck in in overtime, or Bailey will get the rebound, technically. I, I don't know. I think that I think that putting confidence in the Islanders and actually entering a playoff series saying, we belong to be here, that was a fluke last season against Carolina. I don't know. Maybe I'm optimistic here, but at some point, doesn't the tide have to change? At some point. I mean, you know, the Islanders and their fans, they've been waiting for, you know, almost 40 years now for the tide to change. So uh, I, I think that's long enough. So, listen, the right guys are in charge. Uh, if, if, there's, if there is a man to lead the renaissance, at least from the bench, Barry Trotz is that guy. Um, and, and in a year and a half, almost two years, he's, he's a cult hero here on Long Island. So, you know, there's, there's stability. There's consistency here. You know, it's not dysfunction towards the top, which has played the franchise for so long. So, um, you know, really, we're seeing that trickle-down effect now, and I think that's why we're seeing uh, at least the culture change around this team. And I think that's why the outlook heading into a playoff series where, you know, it's a seven versus 10. It's, it's not going to be a gimme, but there's still confidence there. The overall, I guess, confidence or optimistic perspective of Islanders fans, you look at it like this. You have a new arena being built. Literally, what, it starts today, right? Yeah, it started today. So Belmont is re-underway your team has made the playoffs more times in the past six years than it had in, what, the last, the 15 before that? Yeah, yeah, right about so. So, for those reasons, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it is a new dawn on Long Island, and nothing would, you know what would really do it? what would be the nail in the coffin that it is wave goodbye to the old, I don't even want to say lovable losers because the Islanders took a ton of flack during the really bad times. Beating the Rangers in the playoffs, that would, I think more than even for Islanders fans, that would stun the rest of the league to say, okay, these aren't the Islanders we grew up with or had seen for the past few years. This is a new team. This is a ferocious team. And when you look at the Rangers, they're waiting. Before 94, what year did the Rangers win the Cup? 40? 1940. Yeah, I mean... No color television, World War II, all of that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, really, it's you know, it, it, I, I think it's it creates such a nice added dimension to the rivalry. Um, and, you know, it kind of sways on, on Islanders fans' sides in a way almost. Um, you know, the Islanders have always kind of been the new kids on the block in New York. But the fact that they can say, well, you know what, we've been around uh, 50 fewer years than you, but we have the same amount of cups. Um, you know, that's that's a big talking point. And you know, whichever New York team wins that next cup, whatever it might be, 
that's just another dimension of the trash talk that can be added to it that, you know, finally, hey, uh, we have more cups than you. I'm so curious to see what the new argument is going to be when it's lopsided. I really am. And I think for a while you're going to get some hushed-up fans who can only think of not names to call their vocal jousting opponent in that case because once those results get skewed and one team has more cups than the others, it's really it's really lights out. And I I mean, what realistically, how's a Rangers fan going to insult an Islanders fan if it's five to four in Stanley Cups? Yeah, you know, and it, it'll it would be especially frustrating on their part just because they they had been such a consistent force in the East for so long over the past decade plus where, you know, they made the playoffs, you know, 12 to 13 years and they made multiple trips to the Eastern Conference Finals and they got over the hump and made the Stanley Cup Final, but they couldn't get it done. Um, and, you know, could you imagine if, say, the Islanders, especially in this scenario, kind of just pranced in and, and took a cup just like that willy-nilly at almost nothing? I mean, that would... Uh, that would kill a lot of a lot of uh, Rangers fans, and uh, yeah, that would uh, that would certainly add another dimension to uh, to the rivalry trash talking. But again, who knows when that day is going to come? Yeah, and like in '94, the Rangers start their journey against the Islanders and go all the way. I don't know. I I just feel like if you beat your bitter, despised rival in your playoff run, there is just this feeling of immortality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they, they won't have to buy a drink amongst their fan base ever again. And even before you start drinking and celebrating, within the playoffs, we beat the nemesis. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us at all. And I don't know, I wasn't alive for 94, but... The Rangers beat both the Islanders and the Devils in on their quest to the Stanley Cup. They beat their two arch rivals, the two most despised, hated teams that they match up against on their way to victory. And we've talked about this with like the Giants and other sports, but to do that, to knock off two rivals, that's something Incredible, and I think it just gives an unquiverable, I don't know if that's a word, but this unshaken confidence that there's nothing you can do to even phase us, which is why I particularly want to see it, because I imagine if the Islanders or Rangers would win a hypothetical series against one another this year, they would go all the way. I really do. Yeah, you know, it it would certainly kind of create that that feeling of un, you know that you're unstoppable. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's also room for complacency to almost set in, where you know you win a hard fought battle against your rival, and uh, you know suddenly it's like, okay, exhale, like we beat them, we got past them, and you know we know the Stanley Cup playoffs does not provide any rest for the weary, so no, it um, does not. It's 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 gonna it's a challenge. Um, it's it's the toughest trophy in sports to win. So uh, you know, I, I I don't know. 
I, I, I don't see an Islanders-Rangers matchup happening this year um, as much as I wouldn't like to see it slash kind of would like to see it. Um, you know, I, I think we might have to wait a little longer. You might be right about that. I don't know. I, I just have a feeling that this is so weird that everything is so unaligned that it's just going to happen. Like the the I'm gonna get a little sciency on you here. That the just the theory of equilibrium, where nature will reset itself, whether it be a biblical tale of Noah's Ark, humanity has gone so wrong, I'm going to flood it. The Islanders and Rangers have drifted so apart from each other that after such strange circumstances, it's just going to link back and you're going to have that again. I think that nature and the hockey gods are just going to will it so. I really do. Maybe wow. not this season, but in the near future. Breaking out science and the Bible on me here. I can't argue that at all. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> listen, I mean, considering the world we're living in today, why not? That's you what know? I'm saying. It's, it's such a why not. It's, it's so fitting that chaos and unparalleled fears and terrors and a global situation none of us could expect. But you know what? The Islanders and Rangers are playing again. And, and we just go there for it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Again, anything to kind of take our minds off what's going on right now. So we'll hope and pray a little. Yeah, you're right about that. You know, before we got uh, started on this, as usual, we gave ourselves the hope to keep this show to 30 minutes, which in about 45 seconds will be true, just an hour and 30 minutes. We were thinking about doing something on... The greatest overtime goals ever scored in New York history. That segment I think we're going to now save for when we're a little bit closer to a tangible playoff start date. There are a lot of them, and they are great. Joe, this was a lot of fun. It's just getting exciting to project, anticipate, and think about a live sporting event particularly something with playoffs. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. And uh, I can't wait until uh, the day comes where the skates can be laced up and they get out on the ice and they can drop the puck. And Again, just, just that little bit more of normalcy can come back. And uh, I'm, de- I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, uh, of course, I'm looking forward to next time talking with you as well. Of course, and you know what else is exciting to think about? For the first time on our show, besides the fact that we'll actually talk about a live sport, we could also do brackets. How about that? Look at that. A little extra a little extra something we can add to it. Exactly, but emphasis on the fact that we'll be able to talk about a live sport on our sports show. Oh, I can't wait. Anyway, Joe, thanks so much for coming on. I will have you back sooner than you know it. All right, Alex. Thanks so much again. Absolutely. And that was AM Rush. I'm Alex Mitchell. Next week, we are doing a special week-long series on small business and the New York City economy and what's being done to help out those businesses. We're going to be talking to members of the city council. We're going to be talking to the chambers of commerce 
around the five boroughs along with other economic leaders and local businesses. Until then, New York, stay tough, hang in there. We're getting through it one day at a time. And remember, wash your hands.